Welcome back to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm Larry Van Mersbergen, your host, and I've been collecting Doctor Who-related materials since 1981. In 1985, I started a small Doctor Who store called Bundles from Britain in Chicago. And if you've read the book Red, White, and Who, A History of Doctor Who in Chicago, we are in the book. I believe it's page 284. I should have memorized that. Anyway, make sure to get the book. It's from ATB Publishing, and it's on its third print, I believe, and hopefully will be up for a second edition soon. Anyway, thank you for listening. We are on iTunes officially, as well as other uh, other outlets for podcasts. Um, today's, uh, I want to start off by just making a few comments about what I call overvaluation of Doctor Who collectibles. I've noticed this lately, especially in Facebook groups and on eBay. Uh, someone um, had actually had a copy of the Day of the Daleks in hardcover, said it was in pretty good condition, not a library edition. And so I thought, okay, roughly, you know, $70 US, $35 uh, British. And he came back and said he wanted 200 pounds sterling. And I said, well, I'm going to walk away because that's way overvalued. Um, by the way, that book in 1985 cost about $12 retail, wholesale $6.12. So I don't think it went up to $300. Um, it's not that rare. It's not that scarce. So please be reasonable when you when you sell your products. And also, uh, it, you know, not every book is worth six figures. I've been uh, I know I've gotten into some heated arguments online about this. But I will stick to my principles, and uh, I will pay a price that's fair and not overvalued. So, on to today. Um, Doctor Who Weekly began in 1979 under the editorship of Des Skin. Skin was editorial director of Marvel Comics UK division and had been hired to expand the company. And he'd been trying to launch a Doctor Who title alongside his House of, uh, House of Hammer and Starburst. Uh, for over three years. And Doctor Who has been featured in both of those other magazines. Uh, could not get a BBC license because every single page Doctor Who script, by the way, stri the strips are in TV comic. So that was a problem. So he made the announcement uh, at a 1975 Doctor Who convention in August, which I'm unable to find out the exact one. So if you know what it is, let me know. Um, August 1979, and a promotional tour which included the 79 Worldcon convention at Brighton alongside Tom Baker. Doctor Who Weekly was first released on the uh, 17th of October 1979, published by Marvel Comics Limited on a Thursday, with a cover price of 12 pence. It was to be continued in a standard weekly format until September of 1980 when it was retitled Doctor Who Monthly or a month a Marvel monthly. And today I want to focus on the very first Doctor Who weekly and the very first Doctor Who monthly. I have both of those issues in front of me. I will have pictures posted on the website as well as the Facebook page. But um, Doctor Who weekly, the first one uh, has Tom Baker with a Dalek on the front cover. Fantastic first issue, prize winning competition inside free transfers. Now that's important. The um, a mint copy of the Doctor Who Weekly will include the free transfers that are actually attached by tape to the front cover. On my edition, it is in near mint condition and the tape is starting to yellow from age. 
the transfers are fully intact and have not been rubbed or um, or messed with in any in any way. Uh, for a while, you could actually get the extra transfers. Um, I don't believe that's there. Plus two color panoramas inside. So if the posters are still intact, that will add to it. So let me walk you through the magazine. It's by Marvel Comics, believe it or not. So they and of course Marvel also. Uh, put Doctor Who in the Marvel premiere um, series of comic books. There was four issues there. Also, I will talk about those in a future um, episode. But anyway, it starts off uh, the inside front cover, a very colorful uh, comic. Um, things looked bad for me after the TARDIS materialized on board a Vorgan space platform. And this was uh, from the Doctor's Journal, entry 2481. And it starts off with the comic strip in black and white, Doctor Who and the Iron Legion. So we start off with comics, and this comic was reprinted later by Marvel Comics, and that takes up uh, the first few pages of the weekly. And then right on the next page is a letter from the doctor. It's a letter from Tom Baker. Um, Dear all, stop by the nearest post office uh, on Ganymede to drop you a line of two. I won't read the whole thing, um, but the you could write them back at Who Cares, and Who Cares was a... Um, I believe that was part of the Doctor Who Weekly at Marvel Comics, and they actually had other items that they had for sale. There were pins that you could get and things like that, and I'm still looking for some of those. So if you know about that, let me know. And then the next article is Day of the Daleks, which is a feature by Aldrich and G. Blows. I'm not making that up. Uh, so there's an article about the Daleks and various Dalek stories, including the first Dalek story, Genesis, Invasion of Earth, Day of the Daleks, Evil of the Daleks, and then uh, another comic strip, Tales from the TARDIS, featuring War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. So that takes up another few pages. And then there's another letter, uh, actually there's an ad here for the Star Wars Weekly and Starburst, which are also published by Marvel. And uh, by the way, I'm recording this very close to Star Wars uh, time here. We're coming up. Uh, May the 4th is coming up real soon, and so may the 4th be with you. And hello to all the Star Wars fans out there. I love the Star Wars movies as well. I do not collect Star Wars uh, memorabilia. That's another expert's uh, idea. So if you're an expert on Star Wars memorabilia, maybe it's time you started a podcast. So back that, there's another letter from the doctor uh, in the middle. Sorry to interrupt this magazine, but I wanted to say a few things. And then in the middle here, the story of Doctor Who from the beginning. It all started 16 years ago, if you can believe it. That's when it started um, an educational historical drama from the BBC, uh, the four-part story on Unearthly Child. There are pictures of William Hartnell, Patrick Troughton, John Pertwee, and um, these pages are in pretty good shape. And then the, the contest was a crazy caption contest, and I remember this really well when I was younger. I bought this issue uh, in 1986 at a local comic book store. They had a few of these, and uh, I kept it in nice shape all this time. But it it's, uh, it's a photograph of monsters lined up above uh, behind Tom Baker um, for immigrant visas. And so I don't remember. In the next issue, they show the uh, – I should have opened up number two to tell you the answer, but that's okay. You'll have to get number two to find out what it is. And you could win. Uh, I'm not sure what the prize was here. It's doesn't doesn't really say what the prize is. Um, and they'll just basically put your name in the magazine. And then there's a, an ad here for uh, stamps and uh, footballer collectible gum wrappers. And then a Doctor Who photo file. 
Entry number one, William Hartnell, to the memory of whom the first issue is respectfully dedicated, which is really kind. He died just a few years before, in, uh, on April the 22nd, 1975. We're coming up on that anniversary uh, very soon. Uh, played the Doctor from 63 to 66. And then, of course, a very popular uh, uh, comic, The Return of the Daleks, to finish off the magazine. And then um, another entry from the Doctor's uh, diary and the inside back cover. And the back cover is an ad for Mr. Bellamy. Amazing licorice novelties. So it, it's not a long magazine, but uh, it's the first of many, very collectible. Um, I place a value on a mint condition copy. That means no creases. All panoramas are included. And um, the transfers are on the front cover and everything is in good shape. I'd say anywhere from $50 to $60 uh, in good condition with the transfers, maybe with a little bit of wear on the edge, um, about $35 to $40. I wouldn't pay any more than that for, for an issue of Doctor Who Weekly. Um, by the time they got to the 44th, now running a weekly magazine can be very stressful and very expensive. So I imagine that the editors were going, we got to move this to a monthly magazine. So um, so the first Doctor Who monthly was uh, in October, it's September 1980 on uh, issue number 44, a Marvel monthly. It says at the top, first great monthly issue, of course, Tom Baker on the front cover. Sorry, Milton had to say hello. That's my cat. And um, the picture on the front is of the invasion of time, uh, the Santarans attack, and of course, a doctor who faces the Dominators. With a new star profile begins inside. So let me walk you through the monthly issue. Uh, on the inside front cover is a pinup of Patrick Troughton. Um, you're also, when the magazine came out, you're probably very tempted to, you know, take apart your magazine to hang up your pinups. Uh, fortunately, that was not what I did, so I kept them pretty much the same. Uh, so the magazine is intact. Um, so this is issue number 44, another small letter from the Doctor. Welcome to a great new monthly Doctor Who magazine. Of course, after this, it became Doctor Who Monthly. Um, and I'll, I'll just say for the for the folks out there, the first issue that I purchased was issue, issue number 72. It had uh, Peter Davison on the front cover. And when I bought that, we didn't know about Peter Davison in this country. Uh, we were still watching Tom Baker episodes, so it was exciting to me to see, wow, there's going to be another Doctor after this, because I remember seeing John Pertwee and Tom Baker, and then there was going to be one more. So that was exciting. And Peter Davison was kind enough to sign my copy, so it's even more special. So uh, the feature, special features, they're featuring the Dominators, story uh, from Patrick Troughton and the Invasion of Time. Comic strips, including Dragon's Claw 4, the Star Tigers, and the regular features, the Gallifrey Guardian, who cares? The star profile. Excuse me. And the unit hotline and fantastic facts. So walking through that, we start with the Dragon's Claw, which is a comic in black and white. By the way, there was very little color in the magazines here. It's on newsprint. So very delicately turning the pages here. Uh, the next thing is Gallifrey Guardian, which is like a news piece here. So uh, what was happening in uh, in this time in 1980? Masterpiece written during crisis. Um, uh, Jacqueline Hill uh, reappearing with uh, the fourth doctor. Uh, the new title sequence, of course. Um, filming on Shada Halted. We all know about that. We just saw the, re um, the re renewed Shada with animation. Doctor Who's Roots Revealed. Uh, talking about how it started. 
And then um, who cares are letters from the readers. So that's the next section here, Wick, another fan. So it's actually, um, they're answered. It appears to be, you know, the pictures indicate it's Tom Baker, but it's probably the staff at the magazine. So uh, while writing to us, why not list your two favorite features about Doctor Who? Uh, and they actually still call it Doctor Who Weekly, by the way, in the magazine, because I think they just made the switch. Uh, the next page is a ad for Marvel Comics Presents, uh, some com conventions that were coming up in, in England. And then the profile is on Verity Lambert, of course, the first uh, producer of Doctor Who, uh, who we all have a, owe a lot to uh, for getting this show off the ground. So lots of pictures here in black and white of uh, the William Hartnell cast and uh, scenes from his episodes. Next is the unit hotline on page 18 uh, with a picture of Sergeant Benton, John, actor John Levine. Very nice man, by the way. I met him a couple of years ago. Um, and then a little... Uh, file on Know Your Enemy and focusing on the Nymon. Um, I'm going to reserve any judgment on the horns of Nymon. I happen to like it. A lot of people don't, but that's okay. And then on the next page, it's a monster of a hit, and it's an ad for The Empire Strikes Back, now on release in key cities throughout the country. So that's putting us back a few years. So 1980 was a long time ago. Uh, the Dominators is next. There's pictures here from a five-part uh, it says a four-part adventure, but it's actually a five-part adventure. <laughs> it was shown on August 10th, 1968. All five episodes exist, and I think they still did back in 1980. So they basically tell the story in a short form of the Dominators. And then there's another page on fantastic facts. Um, doctors talking about what happens if you get buried alive or a stroll in San Francisco. Um things like that, um, and see what you missed each month in the other Marvel magazines. They've got big ads from Marvel. And then a big black and white picture of Tom Baker, followed by an article on the invasion of time with, with pictures in black and white and a summary of the story. And then we end the magazine with another um, comic, The Star Tigers. And again, on the inside back cover is an ad for the Empire Strikes Back weekly magazine. Didn't know they had one. <laughs> I forgot that this was in here. And then on the back cover is an ad for Starburst magazine. Uh, there were two issues of Starburst, I remember, that were really important. One featured John Pertwee, the other Tom Baker. So um, I would place the Doctor, the first Doctor Who monthly in mint condition. Mine is in near mint condition, just a little bit. There are no transfers. Uh, the magazine is pretty crisp. The color is good. There are no tape marks, no pencil marks or pen marks on the issue. Nobody wrote a price on it. Um, and I would place the value anywhere between $15 and $20. I would pay no more than $20 for a, uh, a near mint copy. Mint condition, crisp, brand new, kind of rare, I would say $30 to $35. Uh, just uh, keep that in mind. That's my opinion, by the way, and you're free to disagree. Uh, set your own price. If you can get $1,000 for this and you're willing to pay $1,000 for this, go for it. Because anything really is worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. Uh, coming up in our next segment, uh, we're going to talk about the Fantasy Empire and an interview with its editor, author John Peel. Hello again, and welcome to the next segment of the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. I'm going to talk about a magazine called Fantasy Empire. Uh, Fantasy Empire was started in, uh, looks like, September of 1981 and was published by New Media Publishing Incorporated. 
Uh, it was um, the first issue uh, featured the five doctors on the front cover. Uh, includes the new Doctor Who news and photos, the complete Doctor Who season guide, the first ever published, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, uh, Judge Dredd plus the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, at the um, in the uh, I also in, have at the end of this segment an interview with the British correspondent, later editor John Peel. Also, you might recognize the name from uh, Doctor Who novels. He did all the Terry Nation Dalek stories, and we'll talk to him a little bit later on. That's a pre-recorded interview. Anyway, to walk through the magazine, the magazine had a cover price of a dollar ninety-five, ninety-five uh, p in the UK. Uh, it was published in the United States in, uh, looks like, Mentor, Ohio. So this was a American magazine to kind of draw attention to British media. So just kind of walking through the cover uh, itself, it's, it's on newsprint paper, by the way. So easily yellowed with age. Uh, this is the issue that I'm looking at here is the same issue I bought back in 1982. So I, it was at the same comic book store that I bought the first Target book and the first Doctor Who Monthly. So anyway, um, just walking through the magazine, it starts off with ads for other new media publications, uh, comics magazine, um, comics feature. And then there's an opening article here by the editor at the time, Maggie Thompson. And we'll learn more about her. Um, she was, uh, she was the uh, first editor of this magazine. The next editor was Mr. John Peel. Um, and then basically it goes through the whole Enterprise Incidents, which uh, was another magazine from New Media that was about Star Trek. And my favorite section here is a place called Bundles from Britain, which was the news from England. Now, this is where I got my inspiration to name my Doctor Who store because I thought it was a great title. And so I, I actually got this inspiration from Fantasy Empire to call my shop Bundles from Britain. And uh, it was basically a pretty cool um, article here about stuff that was going on, including the, uh, at the time, the National Public Radio uh, broadcast of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So that was, uh, that was a big thing, too. Uh, the advertising rates for Fantasy Empire, a full page was $75 back in those days, and a half page was $40. Um, and then, basically, the next section here is a subscription, an introduction to Doctor Who. It's the it's the first, you know, it's basically what's new and the force new at the time. And it's written by John Peel uh, was the Peter Davison was the new doctor. And that was pretty cool. Um, you could actually get 12 issues of Fantasy Empire for $12 mailed to you. At the time, I didn't have $12 <laughs> to do that. But it's, it's really interesting to see the prices from back then. And then it publishes the complete Doctor Who season guide, which is written by John Peel. And um, you'll hear that in my interview with him shortly. I asked him about this section. Uh, actually, was, um, you know, the, the Doctor Who program guide, volume one, was published three months earlier, but only available in England at the time. It wasn't over here in the United States yet. So this was the first Doctor Who season guide. It goes through each season, starting with the first season, going all the way up to the current season, which, let me fast forward here which is still Tom Baker's season, it goes up to Legopolis. So at this, at this time, the magazine um, Castro Velva had not yet aired. So, and then another article here, one that touches close to all of our hearts, The Great Who Hunt. At the time, 132 episodes were lost, and uh, they had, you know, started looking at, um, you know, the, the, you know the, it's a, basically it's a message to collectors that, 
you don't have the authority to copy or circulate episodes preserved. You must, um, you know, looking for what's lost, basically. And they're trying to get it was a, it was a call out there for private collectors to turn over their films so that the rest of the people could um, could enjoy that. And then uh, the next section here was kind of uh, funny is a big article about Target books which were still pretty new in the United States at that time. But um, in fact, there's some great parody covers here, including Doctor Who and the Internal Revenue Service, Doctor Who and the Certified Public Accountants of Gore. Um, the description is Doctor Who stumbles upon one of the most hideous plots in the galaxy when he visits the planet Gore. No one is allowed to leave without earning the degree of Certified Public Accountant. Will he escape before he manages to be bored to death? I apologize to any listeners who are CPAs out there. Um, my favorite one had to be um, uh, Doctor Who and the Disco Daleks Get It On. At Studio 51, Doctor Who finds himself at the mercy of the deadly Disco Daleks. Will they get it on? Very funny th stuff here. Um, more ads for other new media publications. And then a big article on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio show, which was very popular. You could still get that out there on CD or iTunes, I believe. And Douglas Adams, who uh, was a brilliant author, wrote a couple Doctor Who stories himself. Um, and then there's a big thing on Judge Dredd, the comics. And a uh, little bit, a uh, little article here about uh, The Curious Case of Kura, which was a movie that Tom Baker starred in. And then uh, more ads, lots of ads. Fantasy and Folk Song. And uh, I have something folk song related at the end of the broadcast. So um, a little bit about that, some fantasy to go with that. Uh, Empire of Book Reviews here. They, they review, um, let's see, what do they review? Actually, it's just an introductory article. They haven't written anything yet. And then the last section here, plain English. It's uh, letters to the editor, basically. So they, they had a few letters, I guess, that came in already. Um, I'm not going to read any of them. They're pretty long. Uh, big thing about additions and corrections. So if you find something wrong, uh, write to the magazine and they will probably correct it. And then uh, an article, an ad for Cosmic Visions, which is uh, um, another magazine by Media Publishing. And then, um, or actually Cosmic, Cosmic Visions, excuse me, was a store. I'm looking at this again. Um, and by the way, Target books at the time cost $2.50. Uh, the Pinnacle books were $1.75. The making of Doctor Who was $3.50. And uh, this was really something to see because I just, I've seen Target books reach as high as $9, 10 to $25, depending on the uh, condition. And then the last uh, is, a, is an order form for Cosmic Visions. They took out four pages. So um, that's Fantasy Empire. Uh, the magazine, magazine issue number one, I have seen sell for as little as $25 and as much as $75 depending on the condition. So um, next, I have an interview with Fantasy Empire correspondent and editor, Mr. John Peel. This, this interview was pre-recorded, so hold on. My guest today is John Peel. John Peel is a writer from Nottingham, England, and attended the University of Nottingham. He writes in the genres of science fiction, horror, fantasy, and spy fiction. He mostly writes TV tie-in books based on science fiction series. Some of his books include Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, James Bond Jr., Dragon Home, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, and Doctor Who. Most notably, one of the few authors to write Terry Nation's Dalek stories, including The Dalek's Master Plan. Was the British correspondent for Fantasy Empire magazine. Welcome to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, John. 
Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Can you tell me what was the inspiration for Fantasy Empire? Um, wasn't my idea, of course, but originally right. the concept was that um, British science fiction really was starting to get more popular in America around the 1980 period. Um, Doctor Who obviously was starting to become broadcast. And um, the fans had discovered shows like like Seven and so forth. And, of course, shows like The Avengers had, had always been pretty popular and was still in syndication. And the, the publishers decided it was a good time to really do a magazine devoted specifically to English um, science fiction in the various media, mostly focusing on TV, but uh, you know, mm. also covering the other media like print and uh, movies. Yes, absolutely. And um, I do remember buying my first magazine in 1982, mm -hmm. and I, st I still have it. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the first issue. It's, it's the same one, too. Right. Um, so uh, how long did the magazine run? Do you know? It ran about three years, I think, altogether. Uh, and um, it was doing quite well it's just that the publishers decided they wanted to move into slightly different areas right and um uh, and that that was why it eventually sort of wound down but uh, the height i mean it was a pretty popular magazine and we were doing quite well with it i think we, i had a lot of people uh, a lot of my i was living in new york right right but I, I was originally born in england so a lot of my friends from england were providing me with interviews and uh, material like that that I could use for the for the magazine. Fantastic. And uh, did you work uh, well with Maggie Thompson, the editor? Maggie was a delight. Um, really, really nice lady. Gently chiding me when I did things wrong. And, <laughs> um, really, she she basically set the whole thing up for me. And when I came over to America, it was about the time she uh, was offered a job, um, I think, the Comic Buyer's Guide. And mm. she suggested me as her replacement editor on Fantasy Empire. Mm. Um, and then I took it over after a few issues. So, um, you know, I, I got right. along extremely well with her. She was a very, very interesting person. She, she loved everything. Um, oh, okay. She was fascinated by all kinds of different media and different things. So she, she had this boundless enthusiasm for things, which was great. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I, I read this issue several times. I remember when I was younger and I read it again just this past week just to kind of refresh my memory. And um, I see the first issue came out in 1981. And this issue had the complete Doctor Who season guide. Uh, which, yeah. which, which, interesting, came out three months after the WHL and Doctor Who program guide was published, but it was only available in England at the time. Right. So this, so in effect, this was the first Doctor Who season guide in the United States. Right. Yes. Um, I, I had started it, in fact, when I lived in um, England. Mm -hmm. Maggie had contacted me um, in England, and I had started contributing for her. Um, from from back in England, and then continued it when I moved over to the U.S. Okay, and uh, I found it interesting because, of course, in my experience, I started watching Doctor Who in 1975 here in Chicago, and we didn't know anything about the William Hartnell or Patrick Troughton series for that moment, so this was a great read. Um, 
the other thing that got my attention was the uh, section called Bundles from Britain. Right, yes. And uh, I know my, my listeners are already aware of this, but in 85, I started a Doctor Who store called Bundles from Britain based on this magazine's inspiration. Ah. And uh, that company lasted until 1989 and got folded into a company called Alien Entertainment. Right, yes. Which is still going on today. Yes, yes, indeed. So, uh, in fact, the uh, last Chicago Doctor Who convention, this magazine was still for sale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, the magazine had a cover price of $1.95 back then, and I have seen it for $25 and higher. So are you surprised that it's still selling? Uh, I, I guess so. I mean, a, as a writer, you tend not to look back so much at what you've done as to look at what you're actually doing now. Right, so right, right. Um, until somebody calls my attention to things like that, I really don't think about it. I, I remember when... Um, people were telling me, for example, Power of the Daleks was selling for seventy dollars. Yes. My, my reaction was, well, that's probably more than I got paid you know, originally. <laughs> well, not not exactly, but you know that my you know I I, I was really surprised to hear how much um, some of these things go for. Yeah, the uh, collector side, especially now Doctor Who Target hardcover books are right. selling over six hundred dollars. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so they're they're um, and of course when I was owning the store the wholesale price was six dollars for each book because right. uh, the American distributor couldn't give them away here nobody was interested in them <laughs> so we were the only store to have them and at Tardis 22 back in 1985 we were the only dealer that had them right so yeah. uh, so that was uh, that was an interesting thing uh, what do you think the impact of the magazine was uh, for the fandom of those TV shows. It's kind of hard for me to assess. Um, the, the, the thing that constantly amazes me is people are, are come up to me at conventions and would say, you know, like, oh, I love Fantasy Empire. And lots and lots of people have done this, which is very pleasing. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, you, you do get a few letters, but letters are usually written by um, either the really avid fans right. or else people who just want to be cranky. Uh, okay. <laughs> yes <laughs> so you don't really see what kind of an audience you have and certainly as an editor i mean i i had no idea what the sales figures were uh-huh. uh, it was nothing to do with me that was all the all the uh, production side i just simply produced the material if right you like. so yeah, i mean the, i i really had no idea what the sales figures were and uh, the publisher carefully didn't tell me um, because I, I, I think he probably was afraid I'd ask for a raise. Or something. <laughs> well, I, I do know that um, I, I could not find the, the print run, but I could find today approximately of this first issue alone. There are about 15 copies out there in the various places of Amazon, eBay, uh, ranging from 25 on up to $100, depending on the seller. So and and they are selling because I check those periodically to see what's moving and what's not. And of course, the royalties have all expired on that years ago. But uh, <laughs> yeah. but that's how that works. Um, yeah, any, I, wish uh, I, I wish I kept a few more copies. <laughs> I just have I have the same one. It's the same one I bought back in 1982. So it's a it's a beautiful uh, edition, and I love the artwork. Um, the new media um, publishing right. and. Uh, company published the book published the magazine and uh it, i actually bought this at my local comic book store 
in Morton Grove, Illinois, they carried it along with uh, Doctor Who magazine and Target. And so that's where I got uh, inspired by by that magazine. It was a, a wonderful read. Um, I also recently just finished the audiobook of the Daleks Master Plan, which I enjoyed tremendously. It's, and, uh, yeah, I, I was absolutely knocked out by those um, audio books the BBC produced. They were just amazingly good. Oh, yes, especially uh, with the, the reading that alternated with Peter Purvis and Gene Marsh, uh, with the uh, Nicholas Briggs voices, of course. And, yes. uh, and I realize now Gene Marsh has had a stroke and is not doing as well. Uh, I did speak to Peter Purvis a couple of years ago, and he um, also uh, loved being a part of it again. It was like a new new beginning for these audiobooks. And, uh, yeah. and uh, that was the one story everybody wanted to experience was that one and, and i'm glad that you took the uh took that project on i i was so thrilled to be um to be able to do that because i mean you know that this is the stuff i grew up on right. I was a child when this was shown so to you know to, it, it literally is a childhood dream to do these things mm-hmm. um i mean i used to um write dalek stories at home on the saturday evening after doctor who i'd go into my room and sit and scribble Dalek stories because I was so thrilled by them. So, I mean, to be able to get to do them um, officially was, was amazing. (laughs) Yes. And uh, I know myself, I saw day of the Daleks as a child. And then just recently just saw the new one with the new Dalek voices and the new effects. And I thought, wow, what a difference that story is. It's a very terrifying story. Um, But with the new effects, it was just absolutely brilliant. Uh, the And of course, I've seen the three existing episodes of Dalek Master Plan, which are really well done for the time being. And it, it's, a, it's a terrible shame the rest of them are missing or lost. But yeah. um, um, any final thoughts on Fantasy Empire uh, as a contributor to that magazine? Uh, and what was your impact when the magazine ended? Um, I, I, the impact on it ending, I was, I was kind of disappointed because... As the editor, I, I was really fairly free to just do whatever I felt like doing. And, um, you know, if, if I wanted to do an article on whatever subject it might might be, um, there, there was no problem. I would just contact someone and say, look, I need this or look, I need that. And they would go out and do it for me, which was terrific. Um, when it came to an end, it was really kind of disappointing because I... I had enjoyed doing it so much, putting together mm-hmm. the issues and everything, balancing, you know, one thing against another kind of approach. But um, then from there, I went on to do the Files magazines, which were mm-hmm. pretty much just me doing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wasn't working with um, the people I'd worked with before, which was a shame. Yeah. Okay. It, it, it's, it's nice to be able to work with a creative team. Right, right. Uh, they just because new media switched focus on what mm. they, um, that really came to an end, and it, it was a shame. I, I tried to reconstruct the, the concept several years later with something called um, someone had created this thing called the British American Television Society Bats. Oh yes, yes, I remember that well. And I I edited a few magazines for him, well newspaper format magazines, mm-hmm. but. I was able to go back and get my friends again to come back in and um, do the interviews and stuff for it. So it was really cool. And we, we got some 
very nice material for it. Hmm. Um, but unfortunately, the, the the guy who was producing it really didn't have any clue as to how to run a business. So it, uh, it, kind of, it folded very quickly. Um, I, I think they were, I can't even remember, either four or six issues. That was all it ran. Oh, yes. I do, rem- I do remember seeing those, um, but I, I don't have any, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, that is wonderful. Um, John Peel, thank you for joining me today and talking about Fantasy Empire and your work on Doctor Who. Uh, it's a fascinating uh, experience, and uh, I'm sure the fellow collectors will get some neat insight on this magazine. Okay, thanks. (laughs) Well, that wraps up another podcast for the Doctor Who Collectors podcast. Um, Thank you for listening. And if you have any suggestions or you would like to be a part of the podcast or we'd like to sponsor the podcast, please visit our Facebook page at Doctor Who Collectors Podcast or email at Doctor Who Collectors Podcast at gmail.com. Doctor Who Collectors dot com is our official site. And I am Larry Van Mersbergen. We're going to close today with another Doctor Who collectible album. Um, The album is called Vortex, and the artist is Jim Burrell. You may have heard this song on the Dr. Demento show back in the day. That's where I first heard it. I do have a copy of the album. There is only albums, there's no singles, and it is not available on iTunes that I'm aware of. Um, In any case, uh, the fifth track on side one is called The Doctor, and it's a folk song type of thing that's what i mentioned earlier about being a folk song surprise at the end um about uh the singer meeting tom baker's doctor when the tardis materializes and i'm going to play the full song for you so enjoy and until next time this is the doctor who collectors podcast A tall blue box with a flashing light Just appeared here And from it stepped an odd-looking man He said the world was in danger Then he asked me the year I couldn't quite understand He looked sane enough Well, maybe With a floppy hat and a long multicolored scarf He offered me a jelly baby But his curly hair just made me laugh I asked his name And he told me the doctor As a Stone Age girl was just stepping out She pulled a knife But then he stopped her A strange pair without a doubt He looked sane enough Well, maybe With a floppy hat And a long multicolored scarf He offered me A jelly baby But his curly hair Just made me laugh